Great to see you here this evening at our five o'clock teaching service. And um, this will be our last teaching service of the year, but it's not the last five o'clock service of the year because the next two weeks we have our Christmas specials. So next week at the five o'clock service and then repeated at the seven o'clock service, we have our special Christmas concert. And we've got some uh, great people that are going to be ministering that night through all the different types of genres of music. And there's going to be an altar call at the end of it as well. So people can choose to come either to the five o'clock Well, you can come to both if you want, but you'll have a repeat performance, five o'clock and seven o'clock Christmas concert with an altar call for the lost. That's next week. And then the following Sunday, we have our uh, famous, it's actually famous now, uh, Candlelight Carol Concert. And again, we'll have one at five o'clock and one at seven o'clock. As any, who's not ever been to a KT Candlelight concert? Are you still in the UK for that? Ah, oh. well, you can, you can look at it on the internet. It's not quite the same. Who else, who else has not been to one yet? Or oh, you want to come? It's, there's some, it's one of my favorite services of the year where we uh, sing carols, we have readings, and then uh, right at the end of the service, um, we dim the lights, we get the spinning globe. Which is, is it up there yet? It'll be there next week. We get the spinning globe. And uh, we don't have candles because we're KT. We have glow sticks. So we break the glow sticks. Now, we used to have candles many, many years ago. We used to have people with candle holders. And we put, anybody remember the candles? You've been there long enough. Remember the candles? Um, But I remember, oh God, I feel faint just remembering one lady up there uh, put the candle a bit too close to her wig. It's a true story. So, health and safety, health and safety, uh, glow sticks, which are great fun because you can take them away with you and nobody's wig gets burnt. Amen, amen. Well, we took the opportunity of last Sunday and now this Sunday, I wanted just to address some, I suppose you could call them Christmas truths. Uh, But not many Christians are that aware of these Christmas truths. They know that Jesus is the Son of God. And we mentioned, and that's what we were teaching about last Sunday. But if you ask ask them to explain the doctrine of Jesus being the Son of God, they don't really know. And so last week, I looked at the Son of God. But I was doing it, and in the background, I was thinking about Islam. Because Islam, one of the main things that Islam attacks is... The Bible fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So we looked at what the Quran said about Jesus as the Son of God, and we went through that. That was last Sunday, and of course, it's all up there uh, on the internet for you. This is a bit there. That should work. And uh, right now, what I'd like to do is welcome those of you that are joining us by the internet, because we have people that join us from around the world live for our internet teaching at the five o'clock service. And also many people have told me that while they can't make it to the five o'clock service on a Sunday, which is a shame because we've got a few seats, so it would be great to have more people here supporting the teaching service. But because they can't make it during the week, uh, they keep up with the teaching series that we do here, which is great because it's getting the word out. The wonderful thing about the teaching service and the way that our senior minister Colin has, has, has designed it is that there's very few churches in Britain today that actually have something like a teaching service. Is this me that, because I keep hearing something rolling in the speakers and I don't, there must be a loose connection then because that shouldn't be doing that, should it? So you turn it off and I'll use a handheld, thanks. Okay, we're back. And so, welcome to those of you that are watching during the week. And you know, we have some great series that are here. So you can go back, and, and we did a whole series on the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, we've done all sorts of series at the 5 o'clock service. And so you can always go to the media page of kt.org, go down to where it says series, press on series, and then you can see the titles of all the series. Our senior minister's series during the morning, our other series at the 2.30, but also the 5 o'clock series of the past. Because it's important in these days that we can't, we've we got to know what we believe. 
And today, I'm speaking about a topic that some people might not find that exciting. I mean, thank God, when we, when we, the latest series that we did, or the series before this, this too, was on what happens after you die. Very few people know what happens after you die. We did the whole series, and we ended with a wonderful evening. I hope you're able to, to be here. If not, you might want to see it on our, on our archive, where Robert Sled and our own Roberts came and spoke about his experience, I Saw Heaven. And as wonderful as that is, this topic tonight is more important. Because this topic that we're looking at today is called the doctrine of the incarnation. The incarnation. What does the incarnation mean? It simply means that God became man in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Now, you say, well, surely most Christians understand this doctrine. Well, it was only a short while ago that I was sitting with Colin, our senior minister, and we were talking, about, talking to somebody who was saying that they were a teacher and that they were hoping to become a minister. And so Colin said, okay, uh, just explain to us how Jesus is God. Give us some explanation about what the Bible teaches about Jesus is God. And the person stumbled and stuttered and couldn't even give us one verse. We had to help the person. It was a bit embarrassing. They couldn't, but... We need, to, we need to know exactly, because people are going to ask us these questions, and not just to answer in evangelism, but to know for ourselves. Don't just believe something because you're told it, or because you're brought up in a Christian tradition that says that Jesus is the Son of God, because you, you'll come across someone like a Jehovah's Witness, who are specifically trained to ask difficult questions to Christians. And they will ask you a series of questions, take you to a series of scriptures that they interpret falsely. And if you've not studied the Word of God, you'll be confused at best. And at worst, you'll have your faith shaken. But I'm preaching to the converted because you're here tonight or you're watching this. But this is an important subject. And that's why it was so good to have Daniel begin by reading the first chapter of Hebrews. If you ever, in your mind, say, well... If somebody asks me if Jesus is God, where do I go? Go to the first chapter of Hebrews or go to the first chapter of John. That's all you have to remember. There's plenty of other places I'll go with you, but first chapter of Hebrews, first chapter of John. And we read Hebrews and how wonderful it says about God speaking through his son in verse 3. That his son, Jesus, is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and uphold things, all things, by the power of his word. So we see that Jesus is the very image and expression of the glory of the Father. How, how could you be that without being God? And then what happens is, is that Paul begins to show how Jesus is not an angel. Do you know that Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is an angel? Do you know that? They believe that Jesus is an angel. And guess who is his, who is his brother? Lucifer. Seriously. So Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus is an angel, a very powerful one. Yet here, what, what Paul is saying is far higher than any other angel. Far higher. And he is the son of the father. Let all, look at that verse 6. Let all the angels of God worship him. You shall only worship God, the Lord your God. And yet here we see that Jesus, the Son of God, angels worship him, proving that he is indeed God. And then if that doesn't get you, just, just, look, at, just look at this in verse 8. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And verse 9, therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. So just in that passage, and I'm, I don't intend to, I could stay in Hebrews for a long while. I don't intend to do that. I just want to show you briefly some of these powerful scriptures. Let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. Let's see what that says about Jesus being both man and God. The Word made flesh in the beginning. This is John's Gospel, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So that shows you that Jesus was never made. Nothing was made without Jesus. He was uncreated. He has always been. He is eternal. He is creator. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. And now let's move down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that amazing? The word that was with God before creation. The word that, that was face to face with God. That's what the Greek word presupon. When it says the word was with God, the Greek word with, presupon, does not just mean with. It literally means face to face. Inequality with God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything that was created was created by the Word. Wow, this is God. But then this manifestation, verse 14, it's the incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the message of Christmas that God became man. the, we look at Jesus, and when we look at the incarnation, we're talking about two things. We're talking about the fact that Jesus is fully God, but we're also talking about the fact that Jesus is also fully man. It's a mystery. You'd have to be God to do it. Fully God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's Colossians 2.9. All the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. It was God made flesh. We mentioned that John's gospel says that, that, that Christ pre-existed. He didn't come into being when he was born. There's a great article in the Revival Times this Christmas that I encourage you to read. And it's talking about the fact that a child is born, a son is given. Now, a child was born. Jesus was born in a manger by the Virgin Mary and, and, and stepped out of heaven to come to earth as a child. So a child was born, but the son was already in existence before Jesus was born on earth. The son, it says, a son was given. And so we see in Philippians that Jesus emptied himself of all his glory and came down to earth and humbled himself to become a man. John chapter 3 verse 31 says, he who comes from heaven is above all. So we see in John's gospel, and Jesus speaks about this, he says, I've come from somewhere. You know, when you came into the earth, where did you come from? Nothing. You weren't around before you were born. You didn't exist before you were got born. There was no you. But then when your mom and your dad got together, you were created. You came out of nothing and became something. But Jesus existed before he entered into his mother's womb. He came from heaven. He who, he who comes from heaven is above all. The birth of Jesus was not, as in ordinary births, the creation of a new personality. The person already existing entered into a new mode of existence. He became flesh. And of course, Jesus is eternal, the Son of God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before anything was created, the Word existed. It was, Jesus was eternal. I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. 
And they wanted to stone Jesus when he used the phrase, I am who I am. Because do you know what the Old Testament name is for I am who I am? Can anyone shout it out? Jehovah or Yahweh, whichever way you want it. You say Jehovah, I say Yahweh. It doesn't make any difference. I say Yahweh, you say Jehovah. It's the same word. But the word Jehovah or Yahweh actually means I am who I am. That was his revelation to Moses. Moses said, who, sh who, who shall I sell to tell them sent me? And he said, tell them I am has sent you. And in John's gospel, you see time and time again that Jesus uses this phrase, this divine phrase, I am. When they found him in the garden of, of um, uh, Gethsemane, and they all came to, to get him, he said, who are you looking for? He said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And when he said that word, I am, if you read in John's gospel, they all fell down under the power of God before getting up again to arrest him because he had said the divine word, Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus is Jehovah. Isaiah 9 verse 6, I mentioned this early, for unto us, sorry, Isaiah 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born and his name will be called everlasting. It's one of the verses we will be reading in the carol, uh, Candle by Carols, uh, in a couple of weeks' times. So, he existed forever beforehand. He's eternal. He is the creator. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. John 1, 3. So, nothing was made that was made. So, Jesus could not have been made because everything that was made was made by the Word. God the Father, through God the Son, and by the power of God the Spirit, created all things. Jesus Christ is uncreated, the Son of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Just let these scriptures wash over you in the power of revelation. Colossians 1, verse 16. For by Him, that's Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were made through him and for him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10, we've looked at that. For to the Son, he says, you, O Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of of your hands. Jesus also in his ministry, in his life, demonstrated that he was both fully God and fully man. In Luke chapter 5, verse 20 to 25, uh, we, we see that, that Jesus goes to the paralytic who needs a healing, and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, in verse 21, turn to him and say, wait a second, who can forgive sin but God alone. And then Jesus in verse 24 says, The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. He uh, received worship. We saw in Hebrews 1.6 that the Father says of the Son, Let all the angels of God worship him, showing the divinity of the Son. But Jesus also accepted the worship of others. Now, can you imagine somebody who wasn't God accepting worship? Now, in a Jewish context, can you imagine that? The Jews who, who in the Ten Commandments, it stated, don't, don't ever make yourself an idol. Hear, O Israel, your Lord is one God. And what the worst thing that you could ever do in Judaism was call somebody or something God that was not God. And yet we find in John chapter 20, verse 28, with Thomas, when he saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, he realized that only God could be raised from the dead like this. He had a revelation of who Jesus was. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus answered and rebuked him and said, I'm not God. You, how dare you say it? And tore his clothes like Paul and Barnabas did in Acts when they were called gods. Did Jesus do that? No, no. 
Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus answered him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believe. He accepted the worship of Thomas. He didn't shun it. He didn't say Thomas. And, and, and if he hadn't been God, he would never have accepted that. He also stated in, in many different types of ways his equality with the Father and the fact, therefore, that he was God, John chapter. And when you read the book of John, you see how Jesus identifies with his Father. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews heard him say this and understood what he meant. And they were about to stone him. And in their words, they said this in verse 33, You being a man, make yourself God. They understood what Jesus was saying when he said, I and my Father are one. And the easiest thing in the world, if Jesus was not God or didn't consider himself God, the easiest thing in the world would, was for him to make a statement. But on the contrary, he made statements that said that he, he was God. Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Isaiah 9, 14. His name will be called Mighty God. His miracles demonstrated that he was God. He, he had power to forgive sins. He had power to heal the sick. He had power to raise the dead. He had power to command creation. Do you remember the storms? He had power to take bread and to multiply and create new bread and new fish. His miracles attested to the fact that he was God. And um, we could go into more details, but that's enough for the day. I'm just giving you a few just to say it's all in there. So he's God. But the incarnation is not just about the fact that Jesus is God. It's as much about the fact that he's also man. Because if we think that Jesus is God and not man, then that is not Christian doctrine. Just as if we think that Jesus was just a man and not God, that is not Christian truth either. Now, the humanity of Jesus Christ. Well, the first thing was he took on an actual body. The word became flesh. We looked at the Gospel of John there, but one of John's letters, 1 John chapter 1 verse 1, says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. In fact, John will later say this. Anybody that says that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh has an antichrist spirit. Why would he say that? Because during that period, false doctrines and heresies were, were turning up saying, Jesus didn't really, wasn't really God made man. It wasn't really the word made flesh. It just looked like it. In other words, some of these false teachers called the Gnostics, they were teaching that it looked like Jesus was real. He sounded like Jesus was real, but really he was just like a phantom. He was like a hologram. He appeared to be man, but he wasn't really man. But he was really man. He was flesh. And John said, we've handled him, we've touched him. Remember when uh, Thomas said, I don't, I don't believe it. Until, unless I touch him and put my hand in his womb and see his scars, I will not believe. He's saying, I want to see him in the flesh. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, Jesus says to Thomas, look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Such an important statement. Because throughout church history... There have been movements and opinions that Jesus wasn't really man. He just appeared 
to be man. But when you look at Jesus' life, he was born as a baby. He wasn't born fully grown. He had to grow. He had physical growth. He grew in wisdom and stature. In John chapter 4, verse 6, we see, by the well, Jesus was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty in John 19.8. He was thirsty. He experienced the things that our body experienced because he was in human form. He was the Word made flesh. He experienced human emotions. He was sorrowful. Remember, even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, it simply says, Jesus wept. Why? Because of his human emotion. He wasn't some sort of Greek spirit without feeling. He was as much a human being as he was God. He could be amazed and astonished. He could be troubled in the garden of Gethsemane. He was in agony and troubled. He, was, he could be tempted and tested by the enemy, but of course he was without sin. He had a human soul. He said on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so we see that Jesus was God, but he was also man. And this is a mystery. It's like the Trinity. We can explain what the Bible teaches, and it makes sense when you talk about God sending his Son and talk about the Holy Spirit. It all makes sense, but it's a mystery. And some people, they say, well, I'm sorry, God can't be one and three. He can't be one and also three. And I'll say God can be whatever he wants to be. And sometimes Muslims will say, it's impossible for, for God to be one and three. And I say, well, uh, your God's too small. Because the definition of God is that nothing is impossible for God. He could be one and twenty. He could be whatever he wants. But he has revealed to us through the scriptures and our own experience that he is one and three. He is Trinity. And we'll teach about that in depth at some time. But also the same sort of like human reasoning, and it's not even reasoning, because it makes sense that God would come as, the fle come in, uh, come as flesh to save mankind. I'll come to that in a minute. But the same human faulty reasoning says, there's no way that Jesus could be fully God and fully man at the same time. Why? It's just impossible. Who says? You say it's impossible for God. But by God's definition, God can be and do whatever he wants. So don't tell me it's impossible for God to become flesh. Because if you say that, then your definition of God is ridiculous. You hear what I'm saying? And also when we see the effect of God becoming flesh, we see it was the only way that we could be saved. And 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 tells us it's a mystery. 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And the testimony that God was made flesh was the testimony of the earliest church. And what a revelation that that must have been for this mainly Jewish, pe Jewish people to, to be able to see and have the revelation, the experience that, that a man was also God. So we understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, why? Why did God become man? Well, I've got a quote from a famous theologian, Carl Henry. Why do we need an incarnation? Couldn't have God done something else? And he says this, Carl F.H. Henry. For the virgin birth itself carries by implication the sum and substance of the gospel. In other words, the fact that there was a virgin birth tells us 
nearly everything that we need to know about the gospel. And remember, even the Quran, if you remember last week I taught you, even the Quran teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. And I said that often Muslims will come and they will say, um, it's impossible for God to have a son. Well, they will always say it's impossible for God to have a son. Because how can God have sexual relationship with a woman to have a son? That, that's the usual thing they will say. And you say, well, your own Quran says that Jesus was born of a virgin. But why did this need to happen? Well, the first thing was, it, it needed to happen to reveal God to us. John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him to us. We saw in Hebrews chapter 1 that in past times God spoke by the prophets, but now by His Son, who is the express image of His glory. In other words... For us to understand God, God has to come to us and explain to us. And that's why Jesus could say to Thomas, Thomas, don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Thank God for the prophets of old that brought us portions of and clues of understanding about God. But to fully understand God, God, God himself, he needs to reveal himself to us. He needs to show himself. And Jesus says, I'm here to show you the Father. I don't say anything except by the Father. We spoke about his sonship and his obedience, his willing obedience to the Father. He came to show us the Father. It's not a very good illustration, but I remember when I was a young child, someone tried to explain the importance of the incarnation of God revealing himself to us um, by, by this illustration. Uh, the evangelist said to us children, he said, well, Imagine an ant's nest, and there's all those ants running around, and you're trying to communicate to those ants and explain something of yourself to those ants, and, and you speak down to them, hey, ants, my name's Bruce, I want to talk to you, about, I want to show you things, I want to explain myself to you. Would they, they'd all, all they would hear is a boom like thunder. They wouldn't understand, they would probably run for cover or start trying to bite me. And so the evangelist taught, said to us kids, but if you wanted to really explain yourself to the ants, then one of the best things you could do is become an ant. Then you can come down to where they are, use the language that they use, use the body that they use, and now as an ant, you'll be able to speak ant language and they'll understand you because they'll see you as an ant. Not the best analogy, but it helped as a, as a child. I thought, wow. So God became a man so that he could speak to us, eat with us, explain things. And so when we see Jesus, we see God, we have God, but in a form we can understand. How could we possibly ever understand the Father? How could we know him? He's, he's just so great, so Incredible, so marvelous, so otherly. He's God. I mean, we're ants and, and, and he's huge. And yet God said, I'm going to come fully. Fully, not partially, not a few words, not a few ant letters or ant emails or ant texts from heaven. I'm going to become just like you, I'm going to come as a human being, and I'm not just coming as part of me. I am coming as full of me. I am fully God, fully man. Now, when you see Jesus, you see God. Thomas, what do you mean, show us the Father? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you've heard me, you've heard the Father. I have come from the Father to reveal the Father to you in everything I say, in everything that I do. Isn't that amazing? He came to be an example for us. 1 Peter 2 verse 21. Leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He showed us how to live life properly. Of course, we're not perfect, and he was. But how wonderful to have a perfect example. That's why when you look at Jesus in the Gospels, it's so wonderful. Everything he said was perfect. 
Everything he did was perfect. There was no sin in him. There was no wrong in him. There was no disobedience in him. There was no fa- he wasn't faulty. And yet the whole of mankind, apart from Jesus himself, we are the product of a fall. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, we all fell with them. It was like a spiritual hereditary disease called sin has been passed down to every human being from Adam. Do you know that? We've all were born in sin. We were born faulty because Adam made us faulty. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin, but he was not a son of Adam. He was the second Adam. He was a a new Adam for a new race, a new humanity. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all that believe will be made alive. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. One man got us into this mess, friends, and one man had to get us out. It was Jesus. Man is the one who wronged God, and therefore man must make the wrong right. Christ is the second man, the Lord from heaven, the Son of Man, who is also the Son of God, incarnate for us men and for our salvation. Also, Jesus had, God had to become man, had to become incarnate, for our sacrifice, to die for our salvation. As God, Jesus could not die. As God, not incarnate. God in heaven, he could not die. God is immortal. Only a man could die. But Jesus became man so that he could, and he chose to die for our sins. Jesus also came as a man. God became man to destroy the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. In order to carry the sins of the world, God had to be fully man, yes, but he also, to be our substitute, had to be fully God. And you know, if, 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 if there was one man, if there, was, if there was a man who was sinless, just one man who was sinless, not God, just a man was sinless. If that man died sinless, would he have paid for anybody else's sins? No. No. He could only die for himself. He could only justify himself. In order for one man's death to have eternal power to forgive all other human beings that believe, you would have to be God. That's why Jesus' blood is so precious. Because one man died who was also God. So his sacrifice was eternal. His blood lasts forever. It atones for all. God had to die as a man for the world to be saved. To be a suf- God was in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Anselm said this, a great theologian. The debt was so great... While man alone, sorry, the debt was so great, while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. So that the same person must be both man and God. I want to say that again because it's so succinct. The debt was so great that while man, while one man, sorry, <laughs> the debt was so great that while man alone owed it, Only God could pay it so that the same person must be both both man and God. Now, how did the incarnation take place? Well, it came through the virgin conception and birth. This is how it happened. Luke chapter 1 verse 34 the angel comes to Mary and says that you will be with child conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she says, how will this be? Mary asked, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Holy Spirit at most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son 
of God. The virgin birth is important because of the sinlessness of Christ. If he were born of two human parents, it's very difficult to understand how he could have been exempted from the guilt of Adam's sin and become the head of a new, the new head of the human race. Of course, there's a mystery because it says that God emptied himself. He emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself to become a human being. I can't explain to you how Jesus could be fully God and fully man at the same time. I can't explain that to you. My mind's not that way. All I know is that with God, all things are possible. Now, over the years in church history, one of the great attacks of Christianity is always on the person of Christ. I mean, wasn't the question that Jesus said, the big question, he said, who do, they, who do people say I am? That is the key question for everybody in the world. Who do people say that I am, Jesus says? Oh, some say you're a teacher. Well, there's many people that think that Jesus was a great teacher. Buddha was a great teacher. Jesus was a human being who had some great moral advice. And we want to be Christians with a small c. Others say, oh, he was a prophet. Islam recognizes Jesus as a prophet. People say he's a historical figure. People say he's a fictional uh, figure. But who do you say I am? And Peter, by revelation of the Father, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the Word made flesh. When we understand that, it's the beginning of understanding our salvation. And everything comes out of this. If we don't, when I say understand, I mean believe. If we don't believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, then the scriptures I've witnessed to today, and these are just a few of them, these are just a basic introduction, make it plain, that Jesus knew himself to be God. His disciples knew himself to be God. The Father testified to him being both God and Son. This is my Son. Listen to him. True Christianity is based in the truth that God became man. The Word became flesh. Now I'm going to open this up uh, for a few questions. So if you've got any questions on this topic that you'd like to ask, just lift your hand and we'll take them. Um, any questions? Don't be shy. If it's, an imp if it's a question you want to ask, then, it's, then it won't be a silly question. Anyone? It doesn't matter. I, yep, here's one at the front row. I don't mind if there isn't questions, but I like to, in these sessions, um, give opportunity. Yeah. Um, some religions that are not. You have to speak a bit. Some religions that are not Christian. How come they still do celebrate Christmas? Why do other religions celebrate Christmas or if other? They people? don't believe. Yeah. Well, because they'll celebrate it on their terms. You see, this is why I know it's changing in a secular state or so-called secular state. But people will have nativity because Jesus is just a little baby. It's nice little. So people could celebrate Christmas because they celebrate it on their terms. Who do you say I am? Oh, you're just a fictional character like Santa Claus and nice nativity story. And we like Christmas and we like presents. So we'll celebrate. So they can sell. So people celebrate Christmas whichever way they want. The question is, is who do you believe you are celebrating? And that's, that's the question. That's a good one. Anybody else? Yeah, there's one here in the middle. Yep. What is the reason why the Bible doesn't say the day that uh, Christ was born? What is the reason that the Bible doesn't say the day that Christ was born? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't, I don't know why the Bible doesn't give us more information about his younger life. 
And we have that wonderful story of him being in Jerusalem, don't we? And being lost and saying, well, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And we know the Bible says that he grew in stature and wisdom before God and man and was obedient to his parents. But it doesn't give us any more information about that. And it doesn't also give us the day, his birthday. Um, I, I, I guess in the end it doesn't matter because it's not in there. Of course, Christmas Day is not his birthday. It's my birthday. It actually is my birthday on Christmas Day, and David Wellington's. Oh, thank you. I wasn't fishing for it, but I'll take it anyway. So, on Christmas Day, it's not actually Jesus' birthday, it's my birthday. But, because we don't know when his birthday is, what a great opportunity for us to have a day where we specifically celebrate, lead up to, and proclaim Jesus' birth. And I don't know if I'd be teaching this today, if we didn't have Christmas. You get some people who say, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because, you know, the 25th of December used to be a pagan festival. Well, it's not a pagan festival to me. It's a special day when we specially remember and build up to this great truth of God becoming uh, man. And so, hey, if we had no Christmas, Christmas, there'd be even less of a Christ to proclaim to this world. Isn't it true? That's not your question, but I thought I'd, I'd go on a bit. Any more? Yep, over there behind you. Uh, Pastor Bruce, this is one of the questions that has been in my mind for quite a long time. We know Jesus is our high priest. Yes. And also in the Old Testament, they said Melchizedek, Melchizedek was the high priest, and Abraham gave one-tenth of the title offering to him. So was Melchizedek Christ? Or, you know, I haven't understood that point. Uh, the question is, is in the Old Testament you find Abraham and he meets Melchizedek the priest in Jerusalem. Well, it wasn't Jerusalem then, it was Salem, priest. And he comes with the, he comes with the, uh, the plunder that he's taken from the kings. And out comes Melchizedek, that means king of righteousness, king of peace. And he comes out with bread and wine. That's the story. In Hebrews, especially Hebrews chapter 7, it teaches us that Jesus is of a priestly order. But he's, Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi, was he? What tribe was he? Yeah. Judah. So he wasn't a Levitical priest. So he's not a Levitical priest. So the question is, what type of priest is he? And Hebrews says, he is the type of priest represented by Melchizedek, the one that Abraham tithed to and went to as a priest with the bread and the wine. Now, some people teach that Melchizedek was actually a, a uh, was, was Christ appearing to Abraham. Christ did appear in the Old Testament at times. Do you know that? Sometimes it's called the angel of the Lord. He wasn't in human form, of course. He just appeared. And so some people say when Abraham met Melchizedek, it was what we call a Christophany, which means Christ before he became flesh, appearing, disappearing. That's what they say. Others say no, it was a real person. And I tend to believe it was just a real person. But it was like Jesus. You see, the point that Hebrews makes about Melchizedek is that when you read the Old Testament, where did Melchizedek come from? Do we know his father? No. Do we know when he died? No, he, he just came out of nothing. We don't know. So Hebrew says, you know, Jesus is like Melchizedek. Melchizedek, we don't know when, when he was born. We don't know when he died. It seems like he was always there. And they say, and that's a bit like a picture of Jesus who always was and always will be. He was always. And so Melchizedek, I think, is a picture, an earthly picture of the heavenly reality of Jesus, who is the true king of righteousness, of the priestly order of Melchizedek. He couldn't be of the priestly order of Levi or under the law because the law had passed away. The law, Jesus had finished the law. And so Jesus' sacrifice was a real sacrifice. I hope that helps. One more question. Okay, how about this lady here in the stripes? Daniel, let's, let's go with that. Let's that, that yes, please. That. Just here, just in front... That's right. Um, I just want to ask uh, whether Jesus Christ is the Word. So um, to relate with us human beings, he was clothed with the flesh. So without the flesh, he is the Word? 
Good question. So, yeah. How did? How would we see him? How would he look? And okay. it does say he's glorified. Well, robes. that's good. The, um, God is spirit. That that doesn't mean that spirit doesn't have form. Okay. And so the Word, before he was made flesh, he was God. He was also still the Son. He didn't become the Son when he was born. He was sent as the Son. So Christ was always the eternal Son, always in relationship with the eternal Father and the eternal Spirit. And he would have some sort, I can't really answer it directly, but he would have some sort of spiritual form. He appeared at times in the Old Testament in what we call Christophanies when he appeared. And, um, and remember, the, what, God's appearance can be very strange because remember when he was raised from the dead? He could veil how he looked. He walked with a couple in Emmaus and they didn't know who he was and then he revealed himself to them. That's because he had a revelation, he had a raised body that was both physical and spiritual. When we believers are raised from the dead, our body will be both physical and spiritual. It'll be physical because it'll be the, the kernel of the body or the seed of the body that was sown, but it will be spiritual because we won't be limited by time and, well, limited by space. Jesus could appear in a room. He could disappear in his resurrected bodies. So sometimes we think of human form and its limitations. We think, well, what form would the word have before he made flesh? And it's a little bit difficult to understand because we only, we only know what we touch and feel. But what we do know is that the word that was a person, a fully, full person, God is one but three unipersons. So the word was a person, as the Father was a person, as the Spirit is a person. They were always persons, always one's God. But one day, the Son of God, the person of the Son of God, became man. On the day that, that, that he was put, that he came into um, his mother's womb, at that point, the word didn't put on flesh like clothes. The word became flesh. And from that point, the word always has, is now, and always will be the word made flesh. If we were to go to heaven right now, we would see Jesus in his glorious res resurrected body, but he could give us a hug too. We could feel him. It's the same body but glorified. Very good question. Okay, we're going to finish there. I, uh, I mentioned that next week we'll be having two repeat concerts, five and seven, and the next Sunday after that, our Candlelight Christmas, five and seven. And in the new year, we're going to be starting a new teaching topic. We're going to be looking at the end times, raptures, millennium, the uh, end time revival amongst Israel, the, the whole of the end times. So make sure... You've got the book of Revelation ready open because we're going to start the year with the end times. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you, Bruce. That was awesome. But you can get the CD in the foyer right.